Hello, this is the redheaded preacher of St. Peter's United Church of Christ in Skokie, Illinois, a near north suburb of Chicago. My name is Richard, Richard Lanford, and the message I've got for you today is one of hope and promise, but the promise isn't mine. It's a promise that's already been made good on by God. It's a promise of Jesus, and it was his parting words. Uh, to the disciples, and I'm going to work my way in this message to talking about parting words or even last words, and uh, some of them can be, and I'll talk about this, and some of them can be, you know, at hard, painful times, uh, but some of them can also be inspirational, uh, even if they are parting words. So I will d- delve into that and make use of both our John passages and our Acts passage to look at Jesus' last words, and just who the Jesus is who is giving these parting words. So I, this is a full-length sermon. When I practiced it earlier today, it was actually a little bit better than I thought it was when I wrote it. Uh, sometimes you have wondering thoughts about, well, is this really you know, going to be very good? And, and uh, without making any promises, all I'm saying is after I practiced it, I thought it was better than I thought it was. Uh, without saying, you know, whether I thought it was good to begin with or not. But you'll be the judge of that. Um, And so please join me in the spirit as I offer a word of prayer for what we're about to hear. Mysterious and great God, we ask the blessing of your spirit as we take this time to listen to the scriptures and to an opening up of them in the context of Jesus' last words. Show us what you want us to see. Let us hear what you want us to hear and grow in the light that you want us to shine. For it is all in your holy name and for the sake of Christ. And in this way we pray. Amen. And here we go with our lector. Joy. In our New Testament reading, Jesus tells his disciples that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. As we get ready to hear the scriptures, it's our practice to ask the Holy Spirit to move among us and within us while we listen. Let us ask the Spirit to give us power too, and to teach us how we might also be witnesses to the good news of God's love and God's power. So I ask you to please join me in the spirit of prayer. Let us pray. Move in our hearts and minds, O God, and open these words of scripture to us today. Help us to hear with fresh ears and waiting hearts the life-giving message you have for us. In your Son's name we pray, amen. Our first reading today is that New Testament reading. It is chapter 1, verses 6 through 14 of the book of Acts of the Apostles. The risen Jesus talks to his followers one last time before he ascends, and then the disciples begin to wait for the promised spirit. This reading is appropriate because last Thursday was Ascension Day. So when the disciples had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, 
Is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. This ends the reading from Acts. Our second reading is also our gospel passage. It is John chapter 17, verses 1 through 11. This takes us back before the passion and death of Jesus. Instead of the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have, John gives us this prayer of Jesus prior to his arrest. What I will read is the start of this prayer. It actually goes on for the entire chapter. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that, that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me 
because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. Here ends the reading from John and our scripture readings for this morning's service. May God grant us a wise and joyful understanding of this, God's holy word. Our worship continues with a musical meditation by our guest musician, Matt Peterson. It was season six, the end of episode eight of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know if I actually cried during the ending, but I could have. It was so perfectly done. In the sequence, Giles, the librarian, and Buffy's watcher is leaving, moving back to England. He's in pain. Buffy is going through complex emotions because she was brought back from the dead by her friends using magic, and she wishes they had not, because where she had been after she died, she said, was much better than being dragged back into life as a slayer with all its drama. Plus, Giles, her watcher, is leaving. So we see her sitting alone, clearly depressed. And above all, Tara broke up with Willow because Willow could not break her addiction to black magic. Despite promises made, they were not kept. They're both devastated. But Tara is packing and leaving the house. The sequence uh, was scenes of these people in grief and getting ready to move on, and literally moving on. It was powerful if you're invested in these characters and had watched the show since season one, episode one. And it was made more powerfully sad for a fan of the show because although there were no spoken words, there was Michelle Branch at the bronze singing goodbye to you as the musical backdrop of this montage of departure and grief. Goodbye to you, goodbye to everything that I thought I knew. You were the one I loved, the one thing that I tried to hold on to. So many partings are more than hard in real life. They can be emotionally brutal depending on the relationship and the style of farewell. Is it permanent? Is, it, is the future unknown, like someone in the service going off to war? Is it due to an argument, a job relocation, a death? Sometimes people who know they are leaving and not coming back say they're graduating or uh, they're leaving their job they've been at for a long, long time. They try to make the exit easier by distancing themselves from their friends a little beforehand. So you don't see them around as much and may not be an accident. If someone is dying or not coming back into someone's life, what they say, if you know that at the time, and even if you, they or you don't, it can carry a lot of impact. 
Famous last words were a category of remembrance. The People's Almanac, circa 1978 or 79, has a chapter, not a very long chapter, but a chapter on famous, people's la famous person's last words. The author Goethe said, more light. King Louis XIII, Louis XIII of France, reportedly ended life by saying, Jesus. Franklin Roosevelt said, I have a terrific headache. And Winston Churchill said, I'm bored with it all. The last words my dad said to me were in the hospital. Suddenly in crisis, he said, Richard, get your mother. And uh, my brother's last words to me, though they weren't his last words, were, if I don't see you again, don't worry, I'll be all right. How about last or parting words that were not upsetting or grievous or uncertain, but, well, promising? Where there's no weep-worthy soundtrack from anyone or anywhere, even my brother's last words to me were promising in their own way. Parting words in whatever context can be inspirational, just what we needed to hear, life-giving even. King Henry VIII's lawyer, Sir Thomas More, who out of his faith conviction refused to sign the divorce papers, said before he was killed, I die the king's faithful servant, but God's first. Dr. Seuss reportedly said, don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. Many of you recall, because I've told the story a hundred billion times, uh, it seems, that when it was time to drive myself to seminary um, into New Jersey, the first time someone had vandalized my car overnight, so I was very apprehensive of the trip, what would happen down the road. Uh, my mom's parting words were, I guess that's where faith comes in. Sorry to quote my family so much. The one I really love to quote, of course, and on this topic for sure, is Jesus Christ. We heard his parting words, according to Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then, if he hadn't already, he began to ascend. As Peter mentioned, the Thursday was Ascension Day, and that's why we sang the first hymn that we sang. Two men in white robes showed up as the disciples gazed heavenward. Two, dis two men in white robes. Sound familiar? Yeah, it does. Sounds like the resurrection angels slash men in white robes. And that's really inspirational and resonates with good news. It's what's going on. What he said and the context, the surrounding. Who, is that? Who else is there? These are Christ's parting words to his core followers. And they are not, sorry, I won't see you anymore, and you won't see me. Now, he spoke of such towards the end of John's gospel. And even then, it was in the context of both the Holy Spirit, the advocate, coming to them, and his own coming back to them or for them. He will be with them or in them. It was even part of our gospel reading today. What more can he say than to you he hath said, who unto the Savior for refuge have fled. Jesus had given his teaching, his example, his parables, part of his teaching, his frustration, his presence. 
the last three years of his adult life. He even told them more than once he was going to be put to death and raised on the third day. The disciples, come to think of it, had already experienced the deepest levels of traumatic grief when Jesus was crucified, dead, and buried. After the resurrection, there was more of Jesus and his teaching, but now in some very different quality of, of, of bodily appearance. Now, I do, I do not want to undersell the sadness the disciples must have felt when Jesus got ready to ride the sky highway into the Godhead. Couldn't he stay longer? Why did he ever have to leave them again? This could not have been an easy leave-taking for them. But as I said, they already went through a more profound piercing of the soul when he died at Calvary. Plus, he did indicate he'd be leaving them again to return to the Father. And we get his parting words, the parting words of Christ today. What more could he say? These majestic, hopeful, promising things. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Let's remember just who this is who's saying that. Yes, it's Jesus. All the same, sometimes when it comes to any person in the Trinity, it's a good idea to take a step back and pause and ponder. Sometimes, before I pray, I'll pause and think a little about just who it is I'm about to approach. The maker of heaven and earth, who is more far away than the most distant galaxy, who set the forces of nature into motion, a transcendent creator, yet who knows and calls me by name, who came to us in Jesus to bring us back to God and demonstrate the depth of God's grace and power, and who lives within through the Spirit, God. So we might pause a moment before reflexively saying these are the parting words of Jesus. And in the pause, let me bring us back to the reading from John 17. These will this will enlighten our view of who this Jesus is, who said these last words. It's not a passage we spend a lot of time in church dwelling on, at least not in sermons. Now, John 17 is a hard chapter for most of us to listen to. It's tempting to kind of check out and wait for it to end with a concise, brief, defining summary. It does pay off, though, to spend time with some of these challenging verses, just like it often pays off to spend time with a challenging person whom others may have little patience for, ignore, or turn away from. But they find out this was worth it. I get the reward from working with this person. Well, as I read the passages last week, and I wrote some notes down, I wrote of John 17, verses 1 through 5. Glory, glory, glory. Past glorifying, past state of glory with the Father, request for future glorification. Well, yes, that's a concise summary, I guess, of the first five verses. But what they are under the surface are as gritty as the ground of Golgotha. 
Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Now one thing we learn when we study John's Gospel is that the hour for Jesus is not just the hour in which he's living. The hour for Jesus is the hour of his passion. And I would include his resurrection. It is the hour of his arrest when he told Judas, this is your hour and the hour of darkness. But that's in Luke. In John, he told Mother Mary at the wedding feast in Cana that his hour had not yet come. And his hour was the time of Christ's disclosure. This was up to God. His final manifestation or disclosure was at the cross and the resurrection. In John 7, persons tried to arrest Jesus. Verse 30 says, but no one laid hands on him because his hour had not yet come. The same saying occurs one chapter later. In chapter 12, during Passover week, some Greeks wanted to see Jesus. And when he was told, he replied, the hour has come. The hour, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And a few verses later, he admits that his soul is troubled because he knows that his hour has come. He knows death is on the way. But he plays it out. And what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this reason that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. At the start of chapter 13, the very one where he takes off his robe, which symbolism I lifted up in a previous sermon of some weeks ago, he washed their feet and told the disciples to serve and love one another just as he loved them. Well, the opening verse of that whole chapter tells us, now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. The hour for Jesus is the hour of his suffering and death, showing forth the reconciling, sin-atoning love of God, which, along with that coming resurrection, is God's glory. That is Jesus glorifying God. It shows forth God's indescribable grace at the Son of God's temporary expense. This is a main understanding of the glory of God. Crucifixion and the resurrection. So, going back a few minutes, who is it in his final words making this humongous promise about the coming power of the Spirit and their world-changing purpose? It is this Jesus to whom glory from God and glorifying God meant this selfless giving up of himself. Why did he do this? Why is it glorifying God? That we may have life. Life with God, which does not have a conclusion. He said, Jesus, I glorified you on earth by finishing the work on earth that you gave me to do, which is what Jesus was going to finish. And then, not stopping, Jesus refers to another glory that he was part of. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence 
with the glory I had in your presence before the world existed. Jesus was the channel of creation. John taught that in his opening verses. Other parts of the New Testament affirm this. Jesus was in the Trinitarian Godhead when the heavens and earth were crafted. There was a glory not of Calvary kind, but of indescribably bright, magnificent, creative, awesome, holy, powerful, spectacular, divine kind. Jesus had this glory with the Father and the Spirit before the world existed. The kind of glory we might imagine first times a thousand. This is the one whose parting words were of promise and purpose. He is the speaker, the promise maker, the purpose giver, returning to the Godhead in some mysterious spiritual body way so the Spirit could come upon the disciples on Pentecost. That's who this Jesus is who made this promise. The Jesus who made these his last words. What did he promise again? As he left them, Jesus said, you will receive power. Will receive power. Not maybe. Not you have to meet these criteria. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Not if, the ho- when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem. Well, remember what Jerusalem did to Jesus. In Jerusalem. In all Judea and Samaria. You know where the, who lives in Samaria? The Samaritans. And to the ends of the earth. Power, which in the Greek is dunamis, from which we get the English word dynamic and dynamite, reminds me of the passage we heard the other week on Mother's Day when Paul reminded Timothy that we were given, he was given, not a spirit of cowardice, but rather a spirit of dunamis, a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. This Jesus, who was in pre-world glory with the Maker, who saw glorifying God in obeying God's plan, the plan that took him to a manger, Gethsemane, Pilate's Hall, Golgotha, the tomb, and then leaving the tomb. This is he whose last words are about the Holy Spirit coming to give his people dunamis and love and self-discipline. It gives the word power a different sense to it than on the surface. This same Jesus told him that this power from God's own self, for the Spirit is part of God, is God, they were to be his witnesses throughout the planet. They cannot do that on their own. They need the Spirit. They cannot decide what to do with this divine power all by themselves and this indwelling. They have been told their overarching purpose, bear witness to Jesus Christ. Tell the story. Use the God-given power and creativity that comes from the Spirit. Remember that sometimes someone's parting words can change our lives. Maybe their lives. These are the parting words of Christ to his followers. Words of beautiful promise and providential power bestowing a sacred purpose. We celebrate the giving and the reception of this Holy Spirit next Sunday. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us in this journey towards understanding Jesus more deeply and appreciating his last words to the disciples. I enjoyed preaching the sermon. I worked before worship, before practicing the sermon on getting the singing right because I hadn't been before, so I knew I needed some work uh, playing the CD uh, with the song on it. And uh, so I enjoyed preaching it and leading worship. I hope that you enjoyed listening to Peter and to the sermon as well. And next week is Pentecost. So uh, my prayer is that you will find yourself listening to the Word of God wherever you are, whether it's the redheaded preacher or someplace else, uh, marking this great day, the beginning of the church under the power of the Spirit. Thanks again for tuning in, and may God bless you, and may God bless your week. Amen. Like what you've heard? Hit subscribe to follow and get updates on our newest additions to The Red-Headed Preacher. We'd love it if you'd give us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find us online under most social media platforms by typing St. Peter UCC Skokie in your browser. Donations are much needed and very welcomed. You can donate to us by going to paypal.me backslash St. Peter UCC Skokie. This information and more can also be found in the show notes wherever you listen to our podcast. Thank you so much.